0: Today we're going to look at a scripture that in my Bible, it's, it, the subheading is simply, Jesus curses a fig tree and clears the temple courts. So it's like, okay, that sounds like two cool stories. You know, Jesus curses a tree and clears out the church. Um, but we will find in this scripture an amazing amount of symbolism and significance for this turning point in his life, what he is doing. Um, and I, and so we're going to, we're going to look into that. We're going to do this a little different. Um, usually we'll read the scripture and we'll work through it and come with kind of rephrase it into terms for us to understand and and be able to, uh, hopefully apply it in some way in our lives today. What I want to do is i want to kind of tell the story of what's happening kind of in layman's terms or whatever. And so that we can come to an understanding of the bigger picture of what's happening so that then we could go back and read the scripture and see it through that lens together. Can we do that? And so, like, what are you going to do? No, I'm out. I'm out. Um, and so it'll be a little bit more kind of academic classroomy today as we do this. Every now and then, you know this, I might ask a question. If I ask a question, I really want you to answer it. Tell me really what you think. I don't expect you to all be in unison or in concert together with the right answer. Um, but I think it's a really good opportunity for us to really look and think about this scripture. So if you have your in inside that scripture is written out. The backside is blank for you to write down some notes. We'll have this scripture up here as well. And there's always Bibles on each one of the tables where the communion is. You can, there's always Bibles there. If you don't own one, take it. It's yours. It's our gift to you. It's a nice leather-bound Bible. You could have it or you could always borrow them if you, don't have it, uh, uh, if you don't have one here. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. And we are going to uh, read today, starting in verse uh, verse twelve. Before we do that, let's pray, and uh, we'll 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 dig into this. Um, Father, we ask that you would uh, help us to see what you want us to see in these words. Jesus taught you taught in in parables and stories, um, and I just pray, God, that you would help us to understand these stories in ways. Uh, that you intended them to be understood. That we would see the gravity of your words. That we would understand that at this specific point in time, what you were doing. So that God, we could understand the grace then that we live in. So as we continue to study, I pray that it is worship, that we have the posture of worship to you, that we would have a desire to know your truth, and have a desire uh, to learn and, and to live by it. So guide us during this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the beginning of, of Mark chapter 11 starts out uh, with the beginning of what we know as Passion Week. Uh, it's this first day of, of acclaim where Jesus uh, is, is coming into Jerusalem. It's called his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, Although he is coming in very humbly, um, uh, their crowds have gathered. They're waving palm branches at him uh, like they would a king. Um, uh, They're singing Hosanna, uh, which means save us, we beg of you. Um, So he's writing in so many, if you were to read this story, so many prophecies were being fulfilled in this moment. The way in which he came in. Uh, to Jerusalem in this moment. And we need to remember that this is the very week, as he's coming in, this is the very week in which he will ultimately be crucified, betrayed and crucified on that Friday. So this is a very significant time. I don't believe that there was a wasted moment. If there ever was, there would never be a wasted moment in this week or a wasted moment or a wasted word or opportunity for Jesus to teach his disciples So he's going in, prophecy is fulfilled. Scripture tells us that he came into Jerusalem and he went into the temple courts in the evening and he saw everything. He observed all that was going on. He didn't do anything, but he just left. So he came in, he saw everything and then he retreated back to Bethany. And then we pick up in verse 12, the storyline pretty much goes, he woke up in the morning and they headed back to Jerusalem, but he didn't eat breakfast. Scripture says that Jesus was hungry. Um, you know, you could, you, could, you could wonder, was that intentional? Did he know what he was, was, was about to do? Um, was he so serious about getting back to Jerusalem to take care of business? What was going on? But he was hungry. The Bible says that he saw a, uh, a fig tree in the distance. So they came up to, to eat, to have some figs off of it. And there were no figs. There were no fruit on the tree. And so Jesus cursed the tree and that's it. They left. So then it tells us that then he went into Jerusalem, into the temple courts, and there he saw probably the same thing that he saw the evening before. Scripture says that he started taking care of business, though, that he chased out uh, uh, the, the money changers, that they, he, the people were selling things in the area, and he was flipping tables over. Uh, one of the things they were selling, they were selling doves, and he was running people out of there. Um, and uh, uh, he, he said, doesn't scripture say that my house will be a house of prayer? You've made it a den of robbers. Um, and then it goes on to, to tell us that all of the people who were around, they heard him, what he was teaching, what he was saying, and they were in awe of it. Something special was going on and they knew it and they were drawn to him. They were drawn to what he was teaching. The only ones who weren't were the, were the other teachers, the teachers of the law, the religious guys who were in charge, and it was on their watch all this stuff was going down in the church, in the temple courts. And in fact, Scripture says that they saw everybody else and they, really, they saw how they really liked him and were drawn to his teaching, and it scared them. And they started to not only think, hey, maybe we should kill this guy, but they began to actually conspire how we would do it. And then the Bible says that he, he left. Jesus and the disciples left, and uh, later they came by that same tree that Jesus had cursed, and it was dead. And Peter, Peter goes, Jesus, look, it's dead. Like, Jesus was like, yeah, no duh. Um, And it's interesting, he responds, I think it's in verse 22, Jesus just responds to to Peter, he just goes, he didn't say no duh, he goes, have faith in God. So he tells him, that was his response uh, to that. So we have a story of Jesus cursing a fig tree that died, and it's kind of a fig tree story sandwich, right? You got a little fig tree on the front, a dead fig tree on the end, and this temple cleansing in the middle. Uh, so what is, what is going on here? It's important we understand the context of this, to understand the story. We understand and we know that Jesus is headed to the cross, okay? Um, we, just pr- we just sang a song in which we said that we, we pray and ask for hope, we pray and ask for peace, we pray and ask for justice, we pray and ask for you. Israel had been praying and asking and begging for their Messiah forever. There was this hope that they knew was coming in Jesus. And in this Messiah, who, who was Jesus, this Messiah, they were hoping for this and they were praying for this very thing to come forever. And now here in this moment, it is happening before their very eyes. This is the moment in which we are transitioning into this. And Jesus was on his way to the cross and he was beginning to usher in his kingdom rule. Remember, he prays, he says, your father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we have this strange idea. A lot of us, we struggle in the church with the idea of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? And yet it's so hard for us to understand. And yet Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. More than almost anything. many people say he, he taught well, he taught on love more than anything, but he taught on money, second, but he taught about these things in reference to the kingdom, almost always. And I, I remember growing up, and maybe it was my simple mind not being able to comprehend uh, certain things, but I, I, I for so long I even lived my faith as if the kingdom was just the kingdom of heaven that was later after we died. And we get saved and, okay, we're good, just hold on. And then one day we die and we go to the kingdom of heaven and all is awesome and gold streets and mansions and all, you know. Um, But Jesus always taught a kingdom that was not only then, but was also now that he would usher in. And this kingdom is simply wherever he reigns. God's The kingdom of God breaks through whenever his ways rule over your and my ways. When our ways rule, when our desires rule in our lives, it is our kingdom. It's his kingdom and his kingdom breaks through when his ways break through. So what's happening here is Jesus is beginning, it's this next moment of really pushing the fast forward button of his kingdom coming to earth because he is revealed as the Messiah and he dies for our sin and is resurrected and now we live in this, in his life, and his goodness, and his hope, forgiven as children of God, so that we now live in his kingdom, okay? So what's happening here, in this moment, believe it or not, the scripture is about him ushering in his, his kingdom. And it's a word picture and a description of the old passing away and the new coming, okay? This is what's happening. In fact, theologians would argue that these handful of, of verses, these few paragraphs, are kind of the cornerstone or the foundation of where we get a lot of our ecclesiology, the how we do the New Testament church. This is not only a description of his kingdom, what happens with us personally, very specifically, it is talking about his church, and what we are, it is supposed to be in his kingdom rule. Okay, in light of the old passing away. So there are three uh, really big concepts we need to understand. There are three uh, new things that are coming as the old is passing away. Okay? And the, the first one is the first one is a new covenant. It's a new covenant that he's bringing. The old covenant of the law brought all these rules, right? This list of rules. So we do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't really don't do that. If you ever do that, bad things. You know, this list of rules. And the old covenant was brought so that if we followed all those rules, God was happy with us, right? No. The old covenant was given to us. The law, Scripture tells us, was given to us to expose what was wrong. It was to expose our sin. It was to help us to see how far off we really were. It's to help us to see how depraved, how fallen we truly, truly and how much help we really need to be reconciled back to God. This is why Jesus taught in Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because blessed are the poor in spirit means that we are blessed when we understand our spiritual poverty. When we understand how when left to ourselves, we're so bad. That we need a savior. And so this old covenant was replaced with a new covenant. This fulfillment that Jesus brings to us, that when we receive him as our savior, that we are declared innocent. Amazing. This is the hope that we have in this new covenant. Jeremiah uh, 31 says, The days are coming. This is way back in the Old Testament. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. He talks about the law, but he's not talking about this written law, this list, this checklist. He's talking about a law that he's going to take the heart of it and he's going to write it in our hearts and write it on our minds that we might actually embody it and live it instead of just know it. So there's a changing in the guard of how uh, together as whether considered like Israel being a nation or a lineage or a family or the church, how we together express that we are a people of God, okay? And it's changing from just follow the rules to you are a child of God. You live in relationship with God and that he sees us as pure and innocent Because justice was served for our sin on the cross. So there's a new covenant that's being taught here. There's a new church that is being taught here. It's not just you must go to the temple a couple times a day, do these certain sacrifices, these certain things, these certain prayers, go through the motions, do your thing, okay, you're good for the day. Instead, now it is a church that lives, that we become the church, that we become the temple Of the Holy Spirit. A new kind of church that has new values. That has a new mission to be good news. That has a new new message that Jesus was the Messiah. All that we hope for is good news. So a new covenant, a new church, and he's introducing simply a new uh, way of life. I love it. The first church wasn't even called the church. It was called the way. Because they were marked by a way of living. That was the way that Christ taught to live. So they were known as these people. Who had just radical love and concern for others. And who poured themselves out for others. And there was no. Scripture says there was no need among them. Because they gave when someone was in need. And they became such good news. That eventually. The other governments had to acknowledge them as being so influential, making them the official religion of Rome one day. So this was a way of life. It a, represented a new covenant, represented a new church, and it represents a new way of life. Not just a cool story about a dead fig tree. Not just a story about Jesus getting mad because people weren't doing church right. He was giving us a story about how the old is gone. Yesterday is gone, and today is new. It's one of the things we struggle with a lot. I do. We struggle with it a lot, remembering that the past is gone. That the Jesus died on the cross for those sins and we move forward. God no longer holds that against us if we are in Christ Jesus and we can move beyond that instead of living in that bondage of whatever that may result in our lives. That Jesus came that we might have life, the Bible says, and that we might live life to the full. For it's for freedom's sake that we have been set free it's a life of freedom and joy and purpose and yet too many times it does not define our lives as believers we we would prefer cuz this is so hard or confusing and many times we're so ignorant about what we really are supposed to do and be and feel and and we know what we're supposed to do but we don't really know the why that we just start drifting back to the old we'd rather just check the list and go through the motions than living this new covenant, new way, new life. This is, believe it or not, what's being taught in this scripture. So let's read it now. Let's dig it through. And I think there are are five things that, um, as we go through this, I, I want that popped out to me, and I'm like, I need to remember this. These five things, to me, should be significant in how I view God, how I view what's happening here with the cross coming, and how... I live my life and think about my life. So verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. Remember, through the lens, Jesus is talking about, we, he, he is, he's saying the old is passing, the new is coming, talking about the church and the, this new covenant, okay? So seeing the distance of fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. It's kind of weird Jesus is talking to a tree. And they heard him, you know. What's going on here? I'm looking at this, seeing in the distance, a fig tree in leaf. Why did he think it had to quantify that it was in leaf. Why didn't it just say. And they saw a fig tree. So they went to go check it out. Why do you think it, it tells us. No it was a fig tree in leaf. Why is that important. Why. Because it represented that this. It represented life right. That this, this tree. Had the, uh, uh, had the appearance. Of life. What else. What comes with. The appearance of life. For this tree? Growth. Growth of what? Fruit. So, Jesus had a desire. In fact, the word hunger there means a crave. Craving. He had a desire for something... ...and he saw something in the distance... ...that represented what he desired... But the closer he got to it, he realized it didn't have what it should have. That it had the appearance of life and it had the appearance of fruitfulness, but it didn't have it. It, it had no fruit. So what did he do? Well, before that, look look at this scripture. So, in leaf, I think that's on purpose. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Because, isn't this interesting? Because it was not the season for figs. Now, any of you have a fruit tree or had a fruit tree in your life? Um, When that tree's out of season, did you ever expect it to have fruit? No. Isn't this weird? So why would Jesus expect it to have fruit out of season? Any thoughts on that? You ever think about that? Does, does, it, does it at least strike you as weird? It does to me. I look at that and I'm like, well, that's kind of unrealistic expectation of Jesus. You know? Why do you think he would? Why? Do you think Jesus probably knew it didn't have any fruit on it? I mean, you think he knew... You think he knew what he was doing? Let's pretend he did. Let's imagine Jesus knew what he was doing in this moment. And he was a week away, a handful of days away from the cross. And he's teaching the passing of the old and exposing why. And teaching this new thing. It seems to me that he would would know this. That it wouldn't have this. But for me, more than anything, I look at this scripture and I think... When you are in season, it's a special thing. And that you're not always in season. A handful of things I I think we can be reminded from this. For me, the first one is, is that this new kingdom truly represented a new season. Okay? Do you know that you and I live in the age of hope? We live, you and I, live in the season on this side. We have we have been placed on this earth, this side of the cross, where we live in that season of hope. The kingdom that he is ushering in represents this new season. It's a truly a chosen age, but it's an age of hope. But listen, also, it's an age of fruitfulness. It is an age... Um, that is to be marked by fruitfulness. It is an age that is to be marked by genuine faith, as we'll see in a moment. And it's an age that is to be marked by genuine discipleship. And genuine discipleship, discipleship doesn't mean Bible study. Disciples, a disciple was a student of a rabbi learning how to be like that person. There's all Christians, all believers are called To be disciples. We are all by scripture called. To learn how do we become. More like to mirror. The life of Christ. To live with that kind of mercy. And that kind of love. And to mirror that. So as I look at this. I am reminded. what What an amazing thing it is. To live in this age of hope. That is a special season. That is to be fruitful and that is supposed to uh, those who are involved with it are supposed to have lives that are fruitful okay but this fig tree representing the old it was not fruitful simply exposing what wasn't there all right then he said to the tree it's over no more of this May no one ever eat fruit from you again. It's like this commissioning of this new kingdom and this new covenant that he is bringing to us. Okay? So that's it. May no one ever eat of you again. Verse 15. It just transitions. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. So there are different areas of the temple. And you have at the, at the most holiest of point is the holy of holies in the middle center of the, of the temple where only the high priest went. And then there were, there were these different areas where the more holy and religious you were, you could go closer into there. But it went further and further in the outermost parts of the temple where the temple courts where anyone could come into. It's just where life was happening for most people. Okay. He went into those areas. And he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. So obviously Jesus had his idea of what the temple courts did not coincide with what he was seeing. So he began driving them out. He overturned the table of the the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Interesting, why would they be selling doves? Probably symbol of of faith or whatever it may be. But it's interesting in this context, it's being shown as if people were making money off of those coming in, hoping to see and learn and grow and experience God. And as he taught them, he said, verse 17, is it not written my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Let's think about that house of prayer. Matthew Hanson taught a while back that this word, and it's the same one used here, this phrase house of prayer is typically used as as a place where there is no synagogue, but yet prayer is happening. It's very symbolic as we move from the old covenant to the new covenant, where we are told that we are the church and the Holy Spirit then resides in us. Okay, that we embody that. Okay, and so it's, we're called a house of prayer. And that word house means more of like a, a, a household or, or a lineage. So he's making everything just more personal and more personal and more personal. He says for all nations, very specifically, that means for not just the Jews, for Israel, but for also the Gentiles. But you have made it a den of robbers. Well, that's a huge accusation. What the church is supposed to be versus what it is, what it was, to what Christ died to make it. That word "den" literally means a hideout or a cave. It's not like our den where a game room is, or it's a cave. It's a hideout. For thieves and this word for robbers, for thieves that is used here, is a it's a very um, it's a strong description of a thief, literally meaning an unscrupulous marauder that exploits the vulnerable. Wow, this is what Jesus saw. This is what it had become at this time. And he's saying, no more. The old is gone. The old covenant exposing our sin. The lack of fruitfulness. This inability for this to happen. There's a, it's a new day. And I want you to know, I don't believe that all that happened and God really hoped everybody could obey the Ten Commandments and then everything would be reconciled back to him. I just truly believe that Jesus was there at the beginning, as Scripture says, and this was the plan all along. Jesus was not plan B. That Jesus was God's plan to reconcile his people back to him. Okay? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, it says. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Why did they fear him? What would they be fearful of here? Yeah, and you said life. So that means everything, right? Everything they had was being threatened. Everything they were, everything they did, everything they spoke... Their position, their power, their authority, everything that they were, was being threatened. And so they were afraid. And they were afraid because everybody was really liking Jesus. So they didn't just decide to kill him. At that point, it literally says they were looking for a way to kill him. So this was pretty aggressive, right? Fear. A couple of thoughts I have on this. this, The first one was that the kingdom represents this new season second one is that the age is to be marked by fruitfulness, faith, and genuine discipleship. Number three is coming out of the last part of the scripture that we read, that when left to us, this is what we become. That our hope truly is in Christ and his ways. Philippians 3.3 3 says, we glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We need to remember that because we tend to go back is it interesting how it's so hard to actually live out our faith and then when we get messing up and we feel disconnected, we just, we'd rather just come back here and check the boxes. Okay, I went to church this many times this month. I read my Bible this many times this month. I did this. I did something good. Okay, check, 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 check the list. It's easier to do that than to actually go, God, how is this supposed to change the way I live? And then the last, the, number four is that fear may be our greatest enemy. Fear is paralyzing. They were threatened and they wanted to just kill Jesus. You ever find yourself threatened by faith? Does it ever scare you? Do you ever step back and go, Jesus, I don't know if I could trust you with that part of my life. I, maybe we not say it that way, but do you ever honestly, are we, are not, are we not really saying that? God, I don't know if I can trust you with my marriage. I don't know if I can trust you with my kids. I don't know if I can trust you with my career. I don't know if I can trust you with my future. God, I don't know if I can trust you with my finances. I don't know if I can trust you. Fear is so dangerous. Fear could be our greatest enemy. And I'm reminded as I read this scripture what it does to Jesus in me. And then it says, when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Like Jesus was going to go, what? And his response, verse 22, have faith in God. That was his response. The fig tree is withered. Have faith in God. Why do you think it says they saw the fig tree was withered from the roots why did what what is significant about the tree withering from the roots? any thought on that huh well it's dead it's it's dead dead right it's gone what else i mean i got I have two trees in my backyard one is really really big and green and plush and one is green and plush on the bottom and the top is like little stick sticking out. It's dying from... Don't they, don't they typically die like that? It's just dying from the roots. This was, this was of something bigger. It wasn't just happenstance. I think it's also symbolic of when the temple curtain was torn from the ground up. When Jesus was on the cross. There's a lot of symbolism going on here. Jesus is teaching something way, way bigger. Here's what I'm coming back to. And he just, he comes back to him and he just says, just, he says, he says, have faith in God. He's just saying, just believe, Peter. Will you just believe that what God says he's going to do, he'll do it? Will you just believe that he's capable, that I'm capable of doing these things? Will you just have faith? Will you, will you truly have faith in God? When you pursue God, pursue God as if he's God. You ever notice sometimes when we pursue God, we act as if he owes us something? Okay, God, if you're real, do this. Like dance monkey. He's God. We should pursue him as if truth is truth. And we might be wrong. Okay? That his ways are worth trusting. That he can do what he's going to do. Even forgive us. So I'm reminded of that. And I'm also, I'm also reminded how well do I understand this idea of his kingdom. How well do I understand this idea that he has made a new covenant for us and when he has declared us innocent? Do you view yourself there? For those who have trusted Christ, do you understand that there is a new season and a new way he has called you into that he can take even you and me and make us useful for his kingdom? And it's not enough to just receive it and sit back and keep coming back and receiving it and sit back, come back. And if we just keep coming back and just receiving and going through the motions of the front end of it, all we're doing is old covenant stuff. And we're a tree with the appearance of life with no fruit. The scriptures about the church, though, I think about I was thinking about the church and I've, I've accused the church of a lot over the last 10 years. Because I, I went through a time when I just didn't like the church at all. Because it just didn't seem, it was, seemed like it wasn't doing good. Okay? Um, I don't think people, we are the way we are because something's wrong with the church. I think something is wrong with the church when we are not who we're supposed to be in Christ. And I think that from the old to the new has a lot to do with that. I don't know where it hits you today or where you are, but I hope we could just think that through. And as we close our time today, communion and worship, that that would be on your heart and that would be on your mind. It would be thinking, have faith in God. He will do what he says he will do in you and in his world. Let's pray.